the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. MD, a little bit of Hate Joe by Jimi Hendrix there. Talk a little bit about old Sleepy Joe this morning, old Demented Joe this morning. I hear he's hunkered down in his uh, basement again. Uh, the guy can't even put two words together without a teleprompter and people around him. It's kind of sad, really. I mean, I, I just don't see how he's going to win, even if he were running against Satan. I, he's just not the man. At any rate, he's trying to steal the president's thunder and... Uh, a lot of his programs that he's proposing are right out of the president's playbook, which Trump has been doing all along. But we'll talk about that later in the show. I wanted to talk to you about the vaccine, though, for the COVID virus. And you see, I got my little my little stock photo of the guy with the, with the little smiley face with the mask on behind me. There you go. So don't forget to wear your mask. <clears throat> Again, this is a respiratory virus that's spread by cough and, and uh micro droplets that hang in the air. So AstraZeneca and uh, the Jenner Institute at Oxford University have developed this vaccine. And I've talked about this before. It's an adenovirus, which is a cold virus that's weakened. And so it won't reproduce inside of human cells, although it can get into the body. And uh, they've attached with genetic engineering, the protein that encodes, or the genes that encode for the protein that are the little spikes on the uh, coronavirus that allow it to attach to human cells. And it's it's really been quite effective. It's been working very well, and there are trials going on around the world with the uh, vaccine that AstraZeneca has developed. Now, they stopped the, the, uh, the trial a week ago today because there was one case of transverse myelitis of the spine in a patient who had received the vaccine. What the heck is that? Transverse just means across, and the spinal cord is, of course, in in your neck and back. And so there was an inflammation or an infection or uh, a a blockage of a small artery to the uh, spinal cord of one person who was in the study. And they have determined that it was unrelated to uh, to the vaccine. And I know a lot of people are scared of the vaccine. And, of course, the Democrats are saying they don't want the vaccine until it's been completely vetted and and uh, it's gone through phase three trials and all that, which is a bunch of baloney. Um, I will be at the front of the line, like I told uh, Ken a few weeks ago. I don't know if you were listening, Joe. I said I'd knock down uh, any 100-year-old or 5-year-old that got in my way to get to the front of the line to get the vaccine. So um, I'm a big proponent of vaccinations, as you know, and I have been for a long time. So AstraZeneca is resuming this. Now, 
What are the risks of vaccines? Well, the biggest risk with, uh, with the influenza vaccine, uh, and we saw this in the 1970s with the swine flu vaccine, is there was a small increase in the number of people who got the Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is related to the transverse myelitis. It's an inflammation of the nerves uh, in the body. It seems to be an autoimmune phenomena. Uh, there were 450 reported cases of Guillain-Barre in 19, what was that, 77, with the vaccination from the uh, swine flu. And I was an intern at that time, and I actually had one patient who had the, the syndrome. She had gotten the vaccine. Now, it's hard to know. Uh, this is a rare disease, you know, a few hundred a year at the most. So it's difficult to know how much uh, was caused by the vaccine and how much was just the random occurrence of this uh, unusual disease. And it's treatable. Most people get better. Uh, we use things like uh, hyperimmune gamma globulin, which we put in your veins, or we actually uh, will uh, do plasmapheresis, which is a, a kind of like dialysis, only instead of taking off toxins like ammonia and urea, we actually cleanse, clean, cleanse your, your blood plasma of certain antibodies. And that seems to work too. They're equally effective. So we really don't know what the incidence was. Uh, the guess is maybe one in 100,000 increased numbers of uh, the Guillain-Barre syndrome back in the 1970s from the swine flu vaccine. And, and this could be uh, a small risk with this uh, COVID vaccine as well, but we'll have to wait and see. Even at that, you know, the risk is so small. I mean, you, you, you stand a better chance of getting struck by lightning than you do of catching the, uh, the uh, Guillain-Barre from taking the vaccination. So, you know, Joe, I'm going to be in the front of the line. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's a wonderful thing. And these anti-vaccination people, we need to lock them up. They're all freaking crazy. Well, I mean, but, I, I, w I, w I would highly advise nobody to try to get in your way if that's the case. Absolutely. And I'm armed and dangerous when it comes to vaccinations. So back up, everybody. I'm at the front of the line. And I've got a whole host of... Uh, of uh, geriatric patients that are right behind me in their wheelchairs. So you guys get out of the way, we'll run you over. And that's the story on that. So we're, we're on our way with this vaccine. I'm looking forward to it coming out. We should have it by the end of the year. And uh, they're actually giving it now, as I said last week, they're giving it in, in Russia and China. Uh, they're giving it to healthcare workers and uh, high-risk people, first responders. Um, so... It should be interesting to see how it goes. I, I, I think it'll be fine. I think that uh, Taiwan has started too. So we've got uh, three or four countries that are actually working at this. And um, I look forward to, to the implementation of this on a wide scale basis, because that's going to be the, uh, the saving grace for us. So this Guillain-Barre syndrome, you get things like uh, double vision, droopy eyelids, weak muscles, numbness and tingling, uh, problems seeing, uh, you can get short of breath because your respiratory muscles aren't working as well, difficulty swallowing and uh, speech problems, all kinds of problems. And occasionally we have to intubate people with this disease and, and wait it out, but uh, it, it is treatable uh, and most people recover. I've seen maybe three cases my whole career, one when I was an intern. Um, I had a fellow 
who had it uh, a few years ago. He was in the practice. And I think I saw one back when I was doing my residency, but uh, memories are starting to fade. So I, th I think that uh, we'll be fine. And the, the recovery period is usually two to four weeks on this. And, you know, your chances of getting it are infinitesimally small. So I wouldn't worry about this at all. It's, it's really not a big deal. Well, the first thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, let's see if I can get to that on my screen here. Biden, Vice President Biden is saying that he's going to implement all these health care plans for the, uh, for the COVID virus that Trump's not doing. So one of the things he's going to do is provide free testing for everybody, universal free testing. Uh, Joe, that's been, that's been there from, from the get-go. Trump mandated that all the testing is, is free to everybody, which means that your insurance company, if you have it, will be billed. And if you don't have insurance, that you get it for free anyway. So that's ridiculous. Uh, he also said he was going to mandate that everybody wear a mask. Of course, he doesn't have that uh, constitutional power. The uh, mandate for masks are up to the state and local jurisdictions, not to the president or the White House or Congress. They can't dictate that to uh, people. You know, what amazes me, Joe, is how, how easily uh, New Yorkers and Californians are just going along with this. I mean, you know, the, their governor shut them down and won't let them open up, and they're like, okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm confused. I mean, it's starting to look like uh, Germany. You know, they're all sort of goose-stepping right along with their governors. It's a, it's just a, a pity. Well, what was striking so, to me when this whole thing got started and even up until now is from where do any of these governors or mayors or city council or anybody, from where do they derive the authority to do any of this with respect to shutting down businesses, forcing people to wear masks, doing um, uh, uh, we like the curfew that we had here in Tampa for a short while. And I, I think it's a legitimate question because anybody that's yeah. in any position of power, the only way they have any power is from very specifically enumerated powers from their various state or federal constitutions. And I've asked, where do they have this power? Where, from, from where do they, where do they have the authority to do any of this stuff that they're doing? And you mentioned California with Gavin Newsom, who is, <laughs> I mean, that guy is is kind of, you know, arriving at new powers on a daily basis, it seems like. And I think that the answer that I was given when I asked a a, a legal person that's, that knows a lot more about this stuff than I do is basically that, well, you know, they can do whatever they want and it's up to people to challenge it. And that's the, the part of this that seems to be missing right now, but I think may, may start uh, percolating here pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, uh, Como's been the same way. Uh, unfortunately for Como, he's had to battle uh, Mayor de Blasio. <laughs> so they've been fighting off and on about different aspects of this. But, you know, what, uh, I mean, the different states have different laws, obviously. So what gives New York governor that right? I don't know. Maybe there are some uh, state laws uh, on the books there that, that allow him to take over in an emergency. Uh, you know, he can call up the National Guard. Um, he can implement other things. So Apparently, there are some laws on the book, but what amazes me is just how uh, how uh, uh, passively people are going along with this, and they're not they're not fighting back. They're not saying, "Look, we're opening up. We don't care what you say or do." Uh, and you would think that the police would would be uh, on the side of 
people that want to open their businesses up as long as they're doing it responsibly, wearing masks and social distancing or whatever is the, the current uh, mantra for for social interaction in the face of this pandemic. By the way, the number of deaths from this have fallen below 100 a week. So I know that we have uh, gone through the worst of this, that we know how to treat it, and we're going to have people die from this, just like we had people die from the flu. We've had more people die from influenza in the past week or two than we have from the COVID virus. So, uh, you know, come on, it's time to get over this silliness. And did you see where the uh, Los Angeles school system is not going to open until after the election? What does the election have to do with opening up the public schools? I just, I don't get it. It just makes no sense. Well, I think so, that the, it, it kind of codifies in the, the minds of a lot of people what, what what a lot of people suspect already, which is that so much of the decision-making that's happening right now with respect to all of this has not nearly as much to do with medical considerations as it does political considerations. You got that right, bro. You got that right. So Sleepy Joey also says he's going to implement a decisive economic response that starts with emergency paid leave for all those affected by the outbreak and gives all necessary help to workers, families, and small businesses small businesses that are hit hard by the crisis. What the heck has Trump been doing? <laughs> you know, I mean, who, who rolled out all this uh, assistance? Who sent $1,200 checks out and uh, $600 a week uh, 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 extra for unemployment benefits? And who want to extend it? And now Congress is at least the House is saying, no, they don't want to extend anything unless they get everything their way. So I don't, I don't know where all this nonsense comes from that Biden thinks he's going to do. And uh, he says that public health emergencies require disciplined, trustworthy leadership grounded in science. Oh, come on. What do you think we've been doing? I mean, even Fauci, who I'm not a fan of, came out and said the president did everything right. And uh, you know, the uh, the response by the president to the state's request for help was was uh, uh, tremendous. And even Gavin Newsom and uh, Governor Como praised Trump for uh, meeting all of their requests and needs. And I think we've got a clip of that whenever you are able to get it up so that we can show people that we are not just making this up. Have you got that? It's uh, still going through the uh, the processor here. We'll have it here shortly. All right, no, no, no rush on that. We'll break back in at any time and 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 do it. And you know, come on. I mean, now uh, Biden is saying that he's going to bring jobs back to the United States, and he's going to get tough on China, and he's going to do this and that. And by the way, he's going to raise taxes. So, who was it that implemented and pushed for the implementation of of taxes on? durable medical equipment like wheelchairs and uh, orthotics and splints and all the things that that uh, were being sold in, in these little uh, medical supply stores and, and doctor's offices who were uh, trying to make an extra buck and provide a convenience for their patients. It was Biden. Biden was the one who wanted to implement. He's the one who led the charge. And he's the one who pushed this through Congress when he was in, in the uh, Senate and uh, you know, come on, this is uh, this is just ridiculous. He's just a a liar, a thief, and a cheat, and that's no news. But the other thing is, he's saying that the poor aren't getting taken care of. You know what? That is just a lie. Now listen, 
I want you to listen real close, Joe, because this is important. Okay. The Hill the Hill Burton Act was passed in the 1940s, and it it mandated that a certain number of beds be uh, maintained in all hospitals. It took any federal money for indigents, and it also uh, mandated that uh, black and white Americans be treated equally when it came to health care, or uh, there would be fines and punishments for the hospitals. Meat was added to this over the years. In the 60s, we had an upgrade of that. And then again, in the 1970s and 80s, we had an upgrade. Now, the current law says that you cannot turn a, a patient away from an emergency room based on economics or lack of, of insurance, that if they are broke or they are uninsured, you must take care of them. The only exception to this is if you don't have the ability to take care of somebody because you don't have the staff or the uh, physical equipment. So let's say you don't have your nose and throat uh, coverage on your staff in your emergency room and someone comes in with, uh, with a, a peritonsil or abscess, an abscess back in their throat, and they're going to die if somebody doesn't get in there and open it up, then you can transfer them to another hospital in the area that has uh, an ear, nose, and throat service and a doctor who can take care of them. And that's perfectly legal. And the hospital that you transfer to cannot refuse that patient on the basis of economics or insurance. So we've got plenty of legislation in place. All the hospitals are doing this. Nobody's going without care. Anybody who comes to the emergency room and needs care gets it, whether they can afford it or pay for it or not. And uh, even the states are helping the hospitals out. I think in Florida, the hospitals get maybe $250, $300 a day extra from the state for indigent patients uh, to help offset the cost of care. And by the way, the hospital corporations are doing just fine. HCA stock has just gone nuts over the past few years. And, and so, so the, uh, you got that clip? The president is doing the right thing. My conversation with Andrew Cuomo uh, was a very, very productive one. Pretty clear there. Yeah. And Newsom was even better. Did you hear his? Well, I don't know if you could say it's better, but. But yeah, we have that. We have that here. All right, go ahead and play it. We'll listen. 68 lawsuits with the Trump administration. I've been on your show. I haven't been timid. He certainly hasn't been timid. Uh, but I got to say this. It's just a fact. I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to the American people. Every single direct request that he was capable uh, of meeting, uh, he has met. We have the USNS Mercy in California because of his direct intervention and support 2,000 of these uh, federal uh, medical stations because of his direct support. And so I can only speak for myself, uh, but I have to be complimentary. Otherwise, I would be simply lying to you, misleading you. Uh, and that is a, a wonderful thing to be able to say. Uh, and I hope that continues. Uh, but this has been a remarkable moment, or at least we've been able to arise above that partisanship. Doesn't really sound like the orange man is too terrible right there. No. And, and you know, I, I kind of like orange. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one of my favorite colors after blue and teal. Um, so, but uh, all white men, as my sister said, must be killed. And I reminded her, and I've told you this before, Joe. Hey, I'm a white man and I'm your brother. Your husband's a white man. Uh, she said, you know what I mean? I mean, Trump. Well, um, 
aren't we also all the same color? I mean, I'm not orange, but I'm kind of pinkish. There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> anyway, what's the difference? Who cares what color you are? It's, it's not the color. It's the content. Isn't that what uh, Martin Luther King said? That's right. That's right. And we I mean, all bleed you know, red. Yes. Yes, we do. And uh, so I think that we, we, we have to step back here and, and inject some, some common sense into this. Now, I got to tell you, Joe, that it's just not possible uh, without having heavy fines and, and, and losing your Medicare accreditation and all these other things for a hospital to turn a patient away based on economics. They cannot do it. I mean, they, they can do it, but they risk being closed down or going broke or, or uh, heavy fines. And uh, it's a big deal. It is a big, big deal. So you cannot do that. And so I don't know what uh, what Biden's talking about. I don't know where he comes up with this stuff. But to me, the main problem is the gullibility of people because all they do is watch CNN and they get these little clips. It's like baby pablum. They get a little teaspoon of this and a little teaspoon of that. And it tastes good, and it gets them all excited. Uh, but you know what? It's it's all paste. It's all uh, it's all flavored uh, artificial food, and, and 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 it's a real problem. I, I don't know how we uh, how we undo this other than to just continue to speak out and to encourage everybody. If you're listening to the show today, to carry these messages forward, that the president did everything he could in the crisis, and he was even praised by the two governors who have been the most critical of him. And, uh, you know, there's there's just not much more you can do. Uh, my only criticism of the president is that I think he should have started the mask movement sooner, but I blame that more on Fauci. And, and I played a clip on Fauci from back in uh, early March saying, don't wear a mask. And of course, Fauci is uh, not my favorite person, as you know. I think that he was the wrong man to put in charge, but you know that's water under the dam and or over the dam under the bridge. So we'll we'll just have to limp along with what we've got. But even Fauci's saying the president did everything he could. I mean, what more can you do? He he didn't have the right to go into the states and mandate to them what they do, uh, and uh, he wisely stepped back and followed the Constitution and allowed the states to. Uh, implement their own rules and regulations. And like you said, Joe, some of it seems like it's uh, uh, fairly egregious and overstepping, and we've got to wonder where they get that uh, power from. But uh, hey, you know what? If we the people sit by idly and uh, let, let our government trample on us, well, then that's, that's our problem. That's not the government's problem. We have to remember that they derive their power from us, and we can take it away from them at any time. And uh, I think that part of the problem is that people were paralyzed because they had never seen uh, a pandemic like this and they didn't know what to do. And so they were looking for leadership and hoping that whatever the governors and the local jurisdictions implemented would be helpful. And we would like to think that a lot of what was done was helpful. Uh, some of what was done was not helpful. We know that Governor Como sent uh, mandated that people go back to the nursing homes who were still positive for the virus, and that uh, allowed the virus to rip through a lot of these nursing homes in New York State. In Florida, we did a different thing. The governor said you cannot send people back to the nursing home until they are negative uh, for the virus. That is, when, 
when you do the nose swab, you can't detect any viral particles in the, in the nasal swab. And then he said, well, if the nursing homes will set up uh, segregated COVID units so that those who have it are kept out of the main population, uh, then you can start sending them back or you can keep people at the nursing home as long as they are in a separate unit. And I know at Jacaranda, uh, they set up a unit uh, with, uh, you know, a double barrier and uh, gowns and masks and face shields and all that when you went in to see the patients. So there are a lot of things that we did in Florida that were healthy and helpful. And there were some things that obviously allowed the virus to spread more, like not closing down the beaches and immediately, but I don't think it had that much of an impact, uh, you know, because I, I just don't think that it spreads very easily outdoors, especially if you're at the beach and there's a, a wind shear there, uh, you're not going to get the viral load if somebody coughs in the air, that's going to be broken up immediately. So I don't think that that was really a big deal. There was some criticism of the governor for that, but I don't think you can, I think that perhaps the partying that went on around the beach activities and the restaurants and all that that were open or that uh, were secretly open, perhaps that accelerated the spread. But even then, you know, some of this is just the natural course of uh, a pandemic, the way things spread, how it moves through society and uh, how populations are affected. And I think we've actually done a really good job. You know, we were predicting one to two million deaths in the United States, and we're under 200,000. So uh, give me a break. Uh, anybody who says that we and the president and the jurisdictions haven't done a good job is obviously misinformed. Uh, they're not being scientific. They're not looking at the data. And, you know, my sister was telling me just a few weeks ago, there's thousands of people still dying every day, Billy. And I said, what are you talking about? There's less than 100 a week for the past several weeks now. It's been under 1,000 for uh, a month, a month and a half. Give me a break. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier in the show, you probably have more people dying from influenza at this point in time. Yeah. You got... I'm sorry, Joe. Well, no, and, and you're also mentioning a really important factor in all of this, and that's we have this thing in America called federalism, which it basically means that every state makes their own decision on this. And, and if we're, if we're, if we're going to beat, beat ourselves up about we, we made the right decision, we made the wrong decision, we made whatever decision we made, th- the question I think we need to ask is compared to what? And what other country exists out there that basically is comprised of 50 individual countries within itself? Because that's what we have here. Every state made their own decision on this. They all didn't behave the same way. And by the way, every state is its own unique uh, you know, idiosyncratic uh, situation. I mean, not, not, we're not all the same even here, even in America. And so, no. and how many, and not only that, okay, so not only that, but if the insistence is that, well, the government should have been more heavy-handed, we should have shut things down more, we should have done, which I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even arguing the validity of that, but here's what I know. If the government anywhere, and, and I'm talking state, federal, local, anywhere in the country comes along and says, you must do this. One of the things about us as Americans is we tend to be rebellious. So you also have to factor in, there's a whole bunch of people that will just not do what the government tells them to do because it's the government telling them to do it, which is also not something that exists necessarily in other parts of the world. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's who we are. And if you don't kind of factor in those very unique kind of, you know, American um, 
uh, traits that we all carry around, well, then I don't think that you're really doing a, a service to your own comparison. Well, you know, our national ethos is is one of uh, rebelliousness, and and uh, that that's a good thing. I mean, that's how we were founded. Yeah. That's, we we told Dad we're moving out, and he said, "No, you're not." And we said, "Yes, we are." And we had a big fight uh, as we left home uh, in the 1770s and 80s, and. Uh, you know, we worked it out. Family got back together after a while. We had a couple of more tiffs, but uh, we have been uh, England's most successful child uh, with with without any without any doubt. You know, we are the most successful of England's children, and we were the most rebellious. and And as you said, we have fifty different states. And one of the beauties of our system, and this is what the founding fathers also noted, was that you have fifty different experiments. So. If California wants to shut everything down um, and the people want to go along with it and Florida says, well, we're not going to do that, we're going to do this, uh, then we can compare and see who's doing better. Obviously, California is struggling uh, financially, economically, situationally, and uh, they've been uh, uh, plagued by these uh, fires that that are uh, damaging the economy there as well as interfering with, with the return to normalcy in the middle of this virus. And, you know, you got to have some sympathy for that. But uh, you also have to remember that some of these fires are being set by people. So uh, how much is uh, uh, accidental and how much is a lack of uh, oversight by the government in California, by the law enforcement agencies and the forestry agencies? How much is the the fault of of their own their own rulers, that you have to question that. But nevertheless, that is their right to make those mistakes. Now, when those mistakes start to impact the rest of us, then we can step in and say, hey, you know, you can't do this because it's damaging the whole country. And I think that that's an important factor to remember. But the, the 50 different states have 50 different formulas, and they may not be that much different, but everybody has an opportunity to try out their own formula. And you know, in Florida, we are not going to respond the same way uh, as people do in New York to the governor. You know, they kind of look at the governor as uh, a, a, a czar, a dictator. In Florida, we don't we don't go along that. We don't see that. The governor is uh, the leader of the majority party. And he is someone who has some authority to interfere and incur, interfere and incur into our lives, but uh, not not uh, capable of dictating to us the way that the governor of New York has dictated to us. And you can see that here, Joe, because, you know, when they said close down everything, well, we were still going down to Gulfport and eating dinner right <laughs> outside so you know uh, i didn't see any police down there closing anybody down and to um, your point if the people in new york or california or wherever if that's the way they want to govern themselves then you know what god bless them more power to them if that's what they want to do i've got no problem with that one of the reasons i live in florida is because we don't respond that way <laughs> like you're saying we tend to be more 
independent. We tend to be more, I'm going to take care of myself. And also part of that is, yeah, I may incur more risks, but there's a quality of life question that comes into that. I'm willing to incur more risks because I'm not going to live in fear. And I mean, that's just a kind of a personal decision, but I think that that's a difference in the mindset of somebody that lives down here versus somebody that lives in New York or California, even though a lot of people are from those areas that live down here. Of course, there's a reason that they moved here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that you have to weigh the risk benefit ratio in anything you do in life. I mean, whether it's getting married or uh, going to USF instead of going out of state to college or, uh, you know, taking a job as a secretary as opposed to going to nursing school or whatever it is. I mean, you know, there's going to be a risk and a benefit. And we talked about this with uh, going back to school, uh, Ken and I, a few weeks ago. And people were saying, well, you know, what if my child dies? Well, the number of kids that are going to die from the COVID virus are so minuscule. It's, you know, it's again, it's, it's like the Guillain-Barre syndrome. Your risk of, of having a child die from this disease is minuscule. And we don't know all the risk factors involved. You're more likely to have your child die from, uh, from a car accident and as uh, Ken said, you know, we've mitigated the, the danger of riding in a car over the years with seatbelts and airbags and crunch cars and uh, anti-locking brake systems. We've implemented all kinds of safety devices, and we're going to do the same thing, and we have been doing the same thing with, with the virus. So you send your kid back to school, and yes, there's a small risk, uh, very, very small, but if you implement the, uh, the safety devices and mechanisms that we have already uh, set forth and we get the vaccine out there and we have treatment for the COVID virus now, we've got the remdesivir, we know that steroids work and anticoagulants work and we, we, we have a whole host, a whole armamentarium of medical treatments that we are not losing people anymore. I mean, if we're losing them, it's because they come in too late or they're at the end of life and they have other comorbidities. By the way, speaking of comorbidities, um, I need more coffee. So if it's okay with you, Joe, I'd like to take a little break. I think you've earned it. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Wildfire smoke that poses a health hazard to millions continues choking the West Coast today as firefighters battle deadly blazes. Those flames have obliterated some towns and displaced tens of thousands of people in California and Oregon. Many who still have homes are not safe in them. A half a million Oregonians are under evacuation warnings or orders to leave. Air contamination levels are at historic highs. The shooting of two sheriff's deputies in California and an apparent ambush has prompted the search for the shooter, reaction from the president, and a protest. The L.A. County Sheriff's Department released video yesterday showing the gunman opened fire on the deputy's patrol car. And residents of Bermuda are bracing for Hurricane Paulette. Tropical Storm Sally is threatening the U.S. Gulf Coast with dangerous storm surge, heavy rains, and strong winds. This is SRN News. 
As life Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of Can Care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an in-office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser. Doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments, so call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727 727- Five four five nine six seven four. Balance of nature, changing the world one life at a time. Your products are great, absolutely. You know, general aches and pains I have because I work outside a lot, gone. It's uh, it's almost magic. It's almost too hard to, too good to be true, you know. But it is. It's very true. Doctor Howard's done a fantastic service by creating this. I work in healthcare, and I haven't gotten even a runny nose. I'm walking more, I'm exercising more, I'm doing more yoga. I'm pretty convinced that this is something to do with it. And you know what? I will never be without it because this was painless and easy. It's amazing. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code RESULTS. Take AM860 The Answer with you wherever you go with our mobile app, theanswertampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Hugh Hewitt sees the Never Trumpers missing the boat. I look at the Never Trump people shrinking by the day. Donald Trump has successfully reframed the understanding in America of what we are involved in vis-a-vis the Chinese Communist Party. And they're so self-absorbed. The Hugh Hewitt Show, weekday mornings at 6 on AM 860, The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. There's a flood watch in effect throughout this evening and a high rip current risk in effect through Monday morning. Otherwise, for today, a couple of heavy showers and thunderstorms from a tropical rainstorm in the morning. An afternoon shower. Otherwise, times of sun and clouds with a high of 85. Tonight, an evening thunderstorm with a low 77. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, 
the answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. We're doing a show this morning. We've got Joe who's my wingman, and uh, we're streaming live also on Facebook and uh, I think on YouTube, but I don't know. I haven't figured out how how widely I am being distributed here. I know that uh, Mary has told me that we're also being streamed uh, audio-wise on a number of social medias. You probably know more about that than I do, Joe. But uh, we're having a great show this morning. We're, we've talked about the virus and opening back up. We've talked about Joe Biden uh, trying to steal Trump's thunder. Uh, we've talked about Trump's response to the uh, to the pandemic, which has generally been stellar. And he has been praised by both New York and California governors and uh, also backed up by my arch enemy, Anthony Fauci, uh, who is the wrong man to be in the position, but it's too late now. So at any rate, <clears throat> now we hear from the governor of California that climate change has uh, impacted his state, and that's why they're having all these fires. I don't know if that's true or not, but one thing I do know is that they've arrested a few people for intentionally setting the fires. I don't know if you saw that, Joe, but there was a guy, I think it was in Washington or Oregon, who was one of these organizers for Antifa or uh, Black Lives Matters, and uh, he actually went out and, and started a fire, and they caught him. He started a forest fire. And uh, it, it's just incredible. Well, that's domestic terrorism, no? Yeah. Well, in my opinion, yeah. I mean, the guy should be locked up for twenty years. Send him down to Guantanamo. Let him hang out with some of his homies down there. So, at any rate, I took a look at the at the power situation in, in California because you know back in August they had some uh, rolling blackouts for a few days because their their system was overwhelmed due to the heat. And by the way, you know that they import about 20% of their electricity. Did you know that? They don't produce all of their own electricity, even though they have the ability to produce more oil than almost any state except Texas. And they have all kinds of natural resources, but they're on this uh, crazy uh, uh, renewable uh, solar and wind energy uh, bang, and it's it's just, I mean, I don't have a problem with solar energy, don't get me wrong, I'm all for it as it becomes more efficient, but the efficiency level is only about 15%, and, uh, you know, one thing that I have pushed over and over again, Joe, is uh, hydroelectric. We have so much more water on the planet now. You probably didn't know this, Joe, but most people think that carbon dioxide or methane are the two most egregious uh, greenhouse gases. They're not. It's water. Water is the number one greenhouse gas. And you know how you make water? H2? You burn carbon. You burn carbon and oxygen. And we do that every day in our cars. We do that every day in our power plants that are burning uh, carbon-based fuel. So <clears throat> we're putting more and more water into the atmosphere. And as the planet heats up, more and more water evaporates from surface uh, water and goes into the atmosphere. So let's 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 impound that water. You know this this whole crazy thing that went on in the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s of of taking down dams because the poor little uh, guppies were, were were not having their native habitat maintained. Come on, give me a break. Have you been out to to uh, Seattle, Joe? Have you been out there? I can't say that I've had the pleasure of being out to. Uh, the, they call that the King City, right? <clears throat> yes, and. 
they've got uh, a set of locks that go from Lake Washington, which is a freshwater lake that's fed by the mountains around there. Beautiful, just drop dead gorgeous. And there's some locks that step down to the uh, Puget Sound, the ocean. And uh, they realized that quickly that there were a lot of salmon that couldn't get through the locks. So you know what they did? They made a little stair step for them. And it's pretty cool. You can go down during the, the spawning season and watch the salmons go up these water steps, jump up, jump up, jump up. And, uh, you know, they figured out how to preserve the salmon population. And then the salmon, as you know, go back into their, their freshwater uh, uh, spawning grounds and, and they lay their eggs and, and fertilize them and do whatever salmon do. And, and that's how the salmon population, uh, the deep water salmon population is maintained. But they figured it out, and we can figure these things out. Come on, we're not idiots. We are not idiots. So we can impound water, and the efficiency of a, of a hydroelectric plant is about 80 to 90 percent, Joe. I mean, it, it's, it's, so, it's a no-brainer. It, 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 and you don't even have to build big, big uh, dams and, and uh, impound more water in lakes. You can just have a channel coming off of uh, like a little side channel coming off of a main river like the Ohio or the Mississippi. And uh, you, you have uh, uh, there's ways you can narrow it down to funnel the water in so it goes faster as it goes through. And you can drive a little small turbine and make electricity that way. I mean, there's tons of ways for us to make non-polluting uh, electricity. And I just don't understand what the problem is with the Californians thinking they're going to uh, supplement or uh, uh, replace carbon-based fuel with all these renewable energy sources like uh, solar and wind. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're only supplying about 10 to 20 percent of their power this way now. And they're importing about 20 percent of their power because they, they, they can't make enough. They won't use the technology and the tools at hand. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that's an experiment that one state has implemented and it's, it's gone awry. It is not working. Let me contrast that with Florida, which is uh, able to sustain its own when it comes to providing electricity for its citizens. And yes, there are probably times when we import some from Georgia and Alabama because we're on the grid with them in Northern Florida, but there are also times when we export it back to them. So I didn't tell you this, but you, you, you'd be curious to hear this. A, a guy, I've got a woman who rents from me and she does laser hair removal. A prestige laser hair removal, really sweet gal. And her son needed a place to live, so I let him stay uh, at the office building. Don't tell anybody because that's illegal. <clears throat> but uh, you guys keep your mouth shut now. But that's that's what I did. And he, by the way, works for Duke Energy. And right next to my office building is the uh, Southern Florida uh, switchboard, the computer-based switchboard that shunts energy all around the state depending on uh, who needs it and who doesn't need it at different points in time. And so this is very common that we are on a grid with other states and, and other jurisdictions, and we shunt the energy back and forth. And these kids, these young guys, they just sit at these computers, and this is what they do. They're uh, electrical engineers or whatever. I don't know what, it, what they are. And they uh, manipulate the power grid so that Miami 
or Tampa or Orlando has enough energy when there's a, an increased demand and uh, that they, they, they can then do this. So we are energy neutral. We provide our own energy. Uh, we produce enough energy to meet our own needs here in Florida. And about 62% of this is natural gas. Over the past several decades, the switch has been from coal to natural gas. Gas burns a little cleaner than coal. There's less sulfur in the air and uh, it burns uh, more thoroughly. So there's less carbon monoxide in the air. But of course, it still puts out carbon dioxide in water. And when you go by a power plant, you'll see steam coming out of their smokestacks. That's basically water. That's just water. We're using about 21% coal in Florida now, about 12% nuclear. Nationally, we're at about 20% total nuclear power supplied, uh, supplying electricity. Uh, Non-hydro renewable, we've only got a small 0.1% of hydroelectric power. Obviously, we don't have... <laughs> We don't have any mountains or any valleys that we can impound water. So uh, I guess we could do tidal uh, flow. We could put some tidal generators, but they're very costly and, and they're tough to maintain. So I, I think that we need to be proud of what we're doing here in Florida. And by the way, we have one of the highest per capita demands because guess what, Joe? It's hot. <laughs> we use a lot of air conditioning here in Florida. And uh you know, that's that's the way it is. But we are energy uh, independent in, in that we supply uh, our own electricity on, on balance. We, we don't need to buy from anybody else. And that's a tremendous, uh, I think, a tremendous uh, accomplishment for a state this size with the energy demands that it has. Uh, and remember, we're also the playground for the world. Orlando is still the number one spot for Western tourists to come to and uh, Disney World and Universal Studios and all that. And so we're not only supplying electricity and power for our own people, but you, you probably didn't know this either, Joe. We swell to over 100 million, 100 million visitors a year to Florida, tourists. Did you know that? A hundred million? I can believe that. And I know that uh, every uh, winter we have, at l just just from our Canadian brothers and sisters, that's four million right there. So you oh, figure from yeah, the rest of the, the entire world, then yeah, a hundred million. Actually, I didn't know the exact number. You're right about that, but it doesn't surprise me. Okay, I mean, it's hard to believe that a state that's, what, 21, 22 million people, quadruples, quintuples in size uh, throughout the year because of visitors, and uh, over 10% of Canada's population visits Florida every year. Hard that, to now, that is staggering. I didn't realize that, but that when you say it like that, that 10% of Canada is coming down to Florida every year? Every year. And who knows that? <clears throat> I mean, I know you know it, but... I know it. Well, you know, because I work with Pryor Smith. Pryor Smith's the uh, guy that did... I don't know if he's going to do it anymore with the pandemic. He'll probably retire. But he did the Canada Calling News Show for years, and I sponsored that. Oh, yeah. And the Canada Calling News Show was a news show for Canadians in the winter who were down here, the snowbirds. It was, what, four or five minutes every day? That's right. And I we've, think, we've so. carried it on 860 for, I mean, it's been, for, I think for as long as we've been a news talk station, we've been carrying it. Which, in fact, and I always love bringing this up, and, and I loved uh, uh, having this conversation with Pryor, it is actually the second longest running, as you say, if it continues this year, it is the second longest running program in all of North America. 
To which, of course, the, the natural follow-up question is, do you know what the first is? Um, CBS News. Not bad, but it's actually the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, all right. You go, Grand Ole Opry. So, at any rate, Pryor has done a stellar job, and he's helped to educate me on the value of Canadians to our economy here in Florida. And we're, we're grateful. But my point is, is that, look— we are meeting our needs here in Florida. And no, we don't produce uh, oil or coal in Florida. We have to buy that, obviously. Uh, but we do produce our own electricity using these resources. And uh, the gas pipelines that are feeding the nation, a lot of them come from Texas anyway uh, and Oklahoma. And we have uh, to thank those two states for supplying a, a lot of the country with the the carbon-based fuel, which is natural gas, that has been um, increasingly driving our, our power plants and producing electricity. Now, you can say, well, aren't you still for nuclear power, Doc? Yeah, I I'm, I'm really think that we can put that to good use, and we have some new smaller uh, generators that look like jet engines, little jet engines that you run in reverse. Uh, you blow uh, you blow the hot steam across the fans on the little jet engines, and that turns a, a turbine, which uh, then turns a, a, a coil around a, an electric field or inside of an electric field, a, a copper coil, and that's how you make electricity. And we can do that, and we can do it safely. We can we can disseminate hundreds of these small generators to cities of a hundred thousand to 500,000, and uh, we can make them big enough or small enough to handle whatever size population we need. Okay, people are scared of nuclear energy. I understand that. I mean, I, I know a lot more about it because I am uh, in that business, and I do a lot of nuclear studies, and I need to, uh, I need to uh, keep up with that. And by the way, I just recertified and studied a whole bunch of stuff on, on nuclear medicine this past week so we could keep our nuclear labs open. So at any rate, I understand that. Okay, you want to switch over to solar? That's fine. Somebody, please, make a more efficient solar panel. Make it cheaper uh, and, and make it take up less space. I mean, you know, when you have a solar panel farm, you got <laughs> you got a lot of area that's covered by by uh, by panels. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about dozens and dozens of acres to produce enough electricity to to uh, supply a small town. So I'm not sure that solar is is going to be the answer. Uh, obviously, wind power is not going to be the answer because most of the country doesn't have enough wind uh, to to uh, drive these things. So we're going to need some other sources, uh, maybe hydrogen. I don't know. But certainly we can we can fix this, and I don't have a problem with nuclear, as I've told you guys before. But look at California. Look at the mess they've got themselves in. They're importing electricity, so they're they're dependent upon their sister states on Nevada and Arizona and Oregon. And uh, they have plenty of ability to impound water. They've got mountains and valleys and and uh, streams and rivers. They've got some, uh, some wonderful opportunities to impound more water out there and produce more hydroelectric power. And I, I think that that would be a, a perfectly uh, uh, ecologically sound way to do it. I don't know why they're not doing it, but, you know, that's the way it is. So, but that's, as we said earlier, that's the state's right to experiment the way it wants. We'll see what happens.
So we're getting close to the end of the show. I had a good time today, Joe, and I appreciate you being there. Uh, and I hope that you enjoyed it too. And when we get close to, we get about 15 seconds, you can play some music and I'll just kind of hum along. How about that? That sounds like a plan. <laughs> so who's coming up next? We got uh, Jeffrey Burchard with the Antiques and Collectibles show. Oh, boy. <laughs> Jeffrey's coming on now. So, folks, if you want to come and join my practice or telemedicine visit, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. And uh, I'd love to have you in the practice. We also got the toenail gel study going on, so come join that as well. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and I'm out of here. Mm-hmm.